Welcome to the St. Emlyn's Podcast. I'm Ian Beardsall. And I'm Liz Crow. And today we're going to chat a little bit more about those difficult circumstances in the emergency department or critical care that we sometimes face. Today we're going to think about when our personal and professional lives come crashing together. When a patient is suddenly somebody who you know, perhaps who you work with, perhaps even a member of your family. Over the last few weeks in the intensive care unit, I've had a number of instances where someone that I've vaguely known or someone that I know very well's loved one has been admitted. And it's really made me have to stop and reflect on how we handle those instances when we have someone that we know in the intensive care unit or in the emergency department, what point we declare that to our colleagues and the way we conduct ourselves and have to continually ask, at this moment, am I actually a friend or am I a doctor, nurse, social worker, whatever the case may be? So we'll use a couple of hypothetical circumstances just to try and expand on this a little bit. I'm sure for many of you listening, you found yourself in this situation where somebody's come in, you might know them and people will ask you questions afterwards or, oh, I hear such and such came in or goodness, something happened to this person. Or it may be that you're emotionally troubled because you've seen some something really nasty happen to somebody you know. So Liz, let's start with a hypothetical case. Let's imagine that through our emergency department, we've just had the child, not somebody we particularly know, but a child from the school that one of our children attends. They've been involved in a trauma. They've needed to go off to the operating room and then they're going into intensive care. So they've come through my care in the ED and they're now being looked after by you as a social worker on the paediatric intensive care unit. And we're getting asked questions about this by the school, by friends, by family. How do we handle that situation where those lives collide together? We really need to pause and think about in that moment, are we professional or are we personal? And it goes both ways. When it is someone from the school, even if you don't know the family directly, you know the school community. So it's likely that the school principal or teachers or just other members of the school community, knowing that you work in that environment, are going to give you a ring and ask you for an update. And at that moment, if you are working, particularly on that day, you actually are a professional and you are bound by confidentiality just like you would any other patient. You shouldn't actually even confirm whether or not the patient is an inpatient without first checking with the family. And that can be difficult to do. The family have really got their own needs at that time. They're obviously extremely concerned about their child or their loved one. And so it can seem a bit narcissistic to go up and say, Oh, look, the whole school community is ringing. I was wondering if it would be okay with you if we release information. So I think often in the first immediate hours, you you are 100% professional and you can't even confirm. And that makes it difficult, particularly if it's your best friend who's ringing up saying, I know you know they're in there. It's just me. I'm your best friend. I'm not going to tell anyone. But in that circumstance, the chances of them telling someone are huge. If the family decide that they don't want the information released or that they want to control the information and you do release it, you could actually find yourself in a great deal of strife professionally and also personally. So I think it's important that you always stop and have a think at that moment, are you professional or personal? On the flip side, if you have, you know, nursing and medical staff coming to you and saying, don't your kids go to that school and what do you know about that family and you're releasing information, are you doing that as a professional or as a personal assessment? If you only know that family within the context of the school community, you probably shouldn't be giving any personal information because 
you've just done that as as a friend, not actually as a professional. So it works both ways and it puts you in a very tenuous position. I think the best advice is to remember at all times that your first priority is to the patient and to their confidentiality. It can be very tempting when you're in the know that you want to share information, especially when there's such an outpouring of emotion from people around you in your community. But you really must separate the two and remember the confidentiality by which we all hold ourselves and actually that the family trusts you with. You have to find ways in which you can say very politely, I'm really sorry, I can't tell you anything. You may get further pressure, but you have to resist that. It's hugely important, although it can be difficult. In an instance recently that I had, the school principal rang, who's someone who obviously holds a lot of power and your children at the school. And he was saying, but you know who I am you know they would want me to know. And I was saying, yes, Father, I do, because my boys are at a Catholic school. Yes, Father, I do. But until I speak to the family and get consent from them to share information with you, I'm not allowed to say anything. I'm bound by my own laws, just like you would be in confession, I said to him. And I'm not prepared to have that conversation with them while they're in this much crisis. Certainly over the next few days, I was able to speak to the family and say this is what was happening. And they were the type of family that were hugely comforted by the thought that the school community were interested and they were happy for information to be shared. But until you receive that consent, you are bound by every other realm of confidentiality not to say anything. So keep that thought very close to you when you're thinking about what you should be talking about and what you should be saying. Because these questions won't just happen when you're at work, when you're in work mode, if you like. They'll happen at the school gate too. And you've got to be careful not to be caught off guard. It may well be that we like to separate our work and our personal lives. But the truth is, is that we're healthcare professionals, whether we're at work or not. So you've got to maintain that level of confidentiality. Liz, how do you deal with the fact that if this child isn't just a member of the school that your children go to, but actually maybe the son or daughter of somebody that you know, who's a friend? Does that change things? Yes, it absolutely does. You can't win this You have to have a plan because you have to have a plan for yourself and you have to have a plan for the family and you have to have a plan for your team to ensure that everyone's needs are met and that that you are abiding by the same guidelines that you would for any other patient. When that does happen, you need to declare it straight away. You need to say, look, I actually can't be involved in a professional context in this sense because I know this individual. Sometimes you can't do that. If you're the nurse or the doctor or the paramedic who shows up and and someone's life is at danger, then of course you have to respond. But as soon as you can hand over that responsibility, it's important to do that. It's going to be important for your loved ones who know you because if something goes wrong, you don't want to be associated with that. Sometimes despite our best efforts, our greatest skills, things still do happen and obviously people do die. But you have to do it for yourself so that you're aware at all times where you're sitting. I think lots of people can try and believe that there is a way to be both professional and personal. And having recently had these experiences myself, you just can't. I was really pleased that despite the fact that this particular child was in the ICU for several weeks, I never once looked at her chart. And we have electronic charts. It's very easy to do, but it's also very easy to be audited. Really remind yourself that you have no right to the information if you're not the professional. So in that instance, I completely excluded myself from ever being the professional involved. But if that's the case, then you have no access 
to information. You have no access to electronic records. You have no right to even listen. And as the admission actually became quite protracted and more difficult, I also had to step out of ward round when that individual was discussed. And that's a real challenge to try and stop yourself knowing things that you'd actually quite like to know because people want more information from you. You have to be really strong with these circumstances. What we're saying throughout all of this really is you have to look after the patient and their confidentiality, and you have to look after yourself and protect yourself to an extent. Don't get yourself into a situation where you could find yourself compromised, whether you're as strong as you think you might be, or just in a moment of weakness where you let something slip. Most of the time, it would be fine and no one would mind. But once in a career, perhaps, it could have devastating effects, not just for you personally, but for your patient as well. I think all of us, when we're given a hypothetical belief, this would be very clear for me. I would know when I'm personal and I would know when it's professional and I would be able to have very strong boundaries. But if there's someone in your ED frequently or in your ICU frequently or the admission is quite protracted in the intensive care setting, it gets very difficult because people start to ask your opinions as the friend. The family are saying, what are the doctors saying? You know, what what happened in ward round, which is why I had to actually step out every day when, when this person was discussed. You can't be both. And it gets very difficult to keep that in mind because there are times that you want to wield a little bit of influence and power. These are your friends or these are the, your loved ones. And so you want to make sure that the best nurse is in there or the greatest registrar is involved. And you can't. You can't bring those judgments. You can't bring that influence. It's really unfair on the staff. And in actual fact, it's really unfair on the family as well, because then they will be confused about what your role is. And more importantly, it can be really an ethical dilemma for that patient. And it can really tear you apart personally. So we've talked about two different occasions, one where it's a child or perhaps somebody you know in your community We've also thought about a little bit if you're closer to the patient, perhaps they're a family member. The last thing I'd like to chat about, if we can, is what you do when it turns out that it's a colleague, perhaps somebody who works in your own emergency department or in your intensive care unit who is suddenly a patient in your department. Now, this could be anything from an ankle sprain. It could be something more personal. They might have come in with a dodgy rash. It could be right to the very extent of that where they've got life-threatening or life-changing injuries. We both have had occasions in the past where we've been confronted with colleagues of ours who have had severe injuries or severe medical problems. And you're surrounded by a nursing team who are also colleagues of that colleague. And you have an emotional environment where you have to try and concentrate on the work you're doing, yet that can be really difficult. And then in the following days, the colleagues who weren't there will ask you, well, tell me what happened. So Liz, how on earth can we possibly look after ourselves and our patients in those circumstances? I think as soon as the level of acuity has settled, whether that means that the individual has died or it means that the individual is actually stable, the whole team needs to withdraw and talk about how they're going to move forward and how they're going to manage the situation. We've certainly had a number of times where consultants' own children have become seriously ill and we've actually called a specific family meeting to say, in this instance, you are a patient, but you're not a patient. You're also a very well-loved colleague, someone that we've all got a long-standing relationship with. How are we all going to manage this? I've certainly been in a situation where one of our doctor's children came in and she asked to have a look at all the scans 
directly and I said, I can't make that decision. I need to go and talk to the doctors. And we actually really had to sit down with her and say, as much as we want to, ethically, we can't until they're properly reported on. And then we need to sit down with you just like we would with any other family. And, you know, that was hard. She was quite annoyed with us. But you have to sit down and say, recognize it, like name it for what it is and say, this is going to be difficult. So how are we going to manage that? But if you've had someone come through, it's really important that it doesn't become lunchtime gossip. That patient has as much right to confidentiality than any other patient that comes through our doors. Now, if it is a, an, you know, maybe a slightly amusing or interesting rash in a very uh, private area, you know, the temptation there, of course, is to have a little bit of a giggle about it with someone behind their back. And you know I, I've got a great sense of humor and I love to laugh, but you, you just really can't under these circumstances. As you said before, Ian, you know, nine times out of ten, it, it would be okay if you accidentally had a slip, if you talked about it with someone, if someone started having a conversation with you and you and you were just under the impression that they knew all the details and you shared it, nine times out of ten that would be fine. But the one time that it's not okay, it actually could be really threatening to someone's career. And that's why we can just never afford to do it ever. And in my experience, what I've found happen is you might see the patient who is also a colleague and you look after them. And then the next day, somebody asks you what's happened. And I found just the simplest way is to withdraw from those conversations. Say, I'm really sorry. I can't talk about it. I'm sure you'll find out through other means anyway, because usually what happens is that colleague will end up having a friend who goes to see them on the ward. That friend who saw them on the ward is seeing them in a personal situation. And then they can then talk about what they've seen in the personal capacity, but not the professional capacity. And actually, with most colleagues, if it's going to be information that your department will end up knowing and your colleague is OK with that, many people will find that out without you having to help them find it out. So you don't need to be part of that conversation. We all know what hospitals are like. This information will get out pretty fast. Withdraw yourself. Make sure that you maintain that confidentiality and just be the professional that you want to be. Another strategy for that is when you actually sit down with people and say, obviously, you're a really loved member of staff and everyone will want to know how they can help and what they can do. What do you feel comfortable to share? And who in the department would you like to be your spokesperson or the person to coordinate delivering of casseroles, whatever the case may be. And it just gives people back a sense of power about this is my information and I will choose how it's distributed amongst my friends and I will choose the people who get to talk about it because in, inevitably in any work environment and hospitals are no different, you know, there are people who are a bit gossipy and there are people who embellish I certainly don't let the truth stand in the way of a good story. It's important that people feel that when they relay the information, they know that what they want to be told is told in a way that's true for them. To have the difficult conversation really early in the piece, hopefully involving the patient, if the patient is actually deceased, involving their family, say they're a really loved colleague, they're very important to us, we would like to do this as a means of respect and a, and a way to support you, do you feel comfortable with this? But it can't be on our agenda. It has to be at a time and at a pacing that works for that family or works for the patient. And the other thing we need to just think about is that 
actually, if your colleagues find out 48 hours down the line that their friend who they work with has been admitted to hospital, but you didn't tell them, they might be quite resentful of that. There does need to be another way in which you can get the information to your colleagues, but maintaining the confidentiality. And in the end, if the patient can choose to do that themselves, that is by far the best way. And most of us would be quite happy to have a couple of visitors and a box of chocolates. And actually, most of the time we work in environments with hugely supportive friends and colleagues. This isn't really a downside. It's just something to think about. The final circumstance, Liz, is the tragic one where your colleague comes in and they've suddenly died for whatever reason. You're surrounded by a team who've tried to help with the resuscitation and that's been unsuccessful. And you have lying in your recess room, now deceased, somebody who previously you were working with. This is probably and hopefully a zero or once in your career type occasion, but it is worth thinking about how you might deal with that. Obviously, that would just be such a devastating event for every individual in the department But in the actual crisis, people do have to put their personal feelings aside, obviously during the resuscitation and then initially to support your colleagues' loved ones because as difficult as it would be for us as colleagues and friends, it would be obviously a horrendous environment for the family. I think for them to see your level of emotion is fine. Most family members feel extremely supported by that and hopefully their families or loved ones would have a sense of your work environment and, and how close your team may be. But then I think you need a departmental response. I think it's worth letting management know very quickly what has occurred. You might ask for additional nurses or for people to come and give assistance from other wards so that you can pull as many staff as you can, even momentarily off the floor to let them know what's happened. And also to give people just some space to grieve and be shocked and confused or get some details about what's actually happened. And then you need to have a plan about how you're going to get that team who were involved in the resuscitation an opportunity to talk or debrief or to spend some time together to reflect on what just happened and what it was like emotionally and physically to have to respond and work on a on a loved colleague or a known colleague and then how you're actually going to communicate that out throughout the department and then you know more longer term about memorials and remembering anniversary dates and supporting family members because often when there is a tragedy within a unit people do really want to respond and my personal experience is that teams are amazing and can rally together very quickly and raise money and support family members very fast and that's a great strength for your colleague's family but it's also really good for your other family and that's obviously your work family. And it sounds hard to talk about it but actually although this is happening to you as a team and a department you still have a department full of other people who need you, patients who came to you looking for help. And somehow you have to maintain a department that can function and look after them as well. It's a huge challenge and one that I think is worth thinking about before it happens. We always talk about practicing how you do resistive thoracotomy as you're driving to work or thinking about how you might do a difficult intubation. But sometimes mentally practicing these difficult emotional situations is really worthwhile too, because you could be confronted by this at any time, day or night, and you need to have in your head, especially if you're leading a department, a plan as to what you might do next. 
I really hope it doesn't happen to you. But as with all things in emergency medicine, it's best to plan ahead just in case it does. The other important point that you alluded to just then is, of course, obviously, be it in an intensive care environment, an emergency department, or even as a paramedic, there will still be other big demands on you clinically at the time. I think it's okay to go around to the less ill people in the department and let them know there's been a crisis and that their care will not be compromised, but that things may be delayed a little bit. And most people will respond to that very warmly and appreciative of knowing what's going on in some vague detail. It just gives everyone a little bit of breathing space. And also if they're seeing high levels of emotions, they know that it's not related to their own case, that there is an external thing that's occurred and that they and their loved ones are safe in your department, but maybe some things will be a little delayed. So Liz, we've talked really about three really difficult situations there. Looking after a member of your community, looking after somebody who's close to your family, and then finally talking a little bit about when you might have to look after a colleague. Now, in the modern age, information gets out very quickly. We all have access to Twitter and Facebook. There are all sorts of other means that we communicate, not just face-to-face in the department or by somebody ringing you up. We really have to be careful about how we use these other types of social media in these circumstances, don't we? Absolutely. And I I think it raises a whole new ethical challenge for us as health professionals about what we put on social media and who we accept as friends and how we use the knowledge that we have at work. So for instance, in my hospital, it's a sackable offence to put anything on Facebook, even to say, really tragic day at work, one of our long-termers has died. That's a sackable offence because it has enough information that it could be a breach of confidentiality. We have had a number of really challenging situations. I just had it today, actually, where a patient from about four and a half years ago, her mother has contacted me on Facebook just today to say, will you be my friend? I can't do that. She's not my friend. She is a long-term patient's mother who I've had to work with extensively. And so the way I personally handle it, I know some people just delete and don't engage, but I think that's been a bit more difficult for me because I often have very long-term counselling relationships with some of our families. And so I direct messaged her back and said, it's really lovely to hear from you. Unfortunately, due to our contractual laws under Queensland Health, I'm unable to be friends with people on Facebook. However, I hope you and your family are well and I think of you often. It's a way of keeping the relationship open because there's no guarantees that her child won't come back into the intensive care. So you haven't hurt people's feelings, but you've also been very clear to say, I'm interested in your well-being, but I'm not your friend. These sorts of challenges are happening more and more on social media, and we need to be aware of them. And certainly on Twitter, I am sometimes mortified by some of the real detail that people provide about patients or the way people might mock patients who have come they've come across during their working day. Some of that is very identifiable, and it's not only a breach of confidentiality, it's unethical. Liz and I are big fans of social media. We use those things often, but you have to be incredibly careful what you write. And if you ever want to talk about a case, it cannot be patient identifiable. At St. Emlyn's, we never, ever, ever use complete patient stories when we're talking about education. We change bits so that they are not identifiable. And there's always a temporal gap between when we've experienced that and when we start talking about it. It may be that you want to post something about how 
incredible your department is and how appreciative you are to work where you work. And actually, I think that can be a positive thing for the people you work with, especially if you've been confronted by one of these really difficult shifts where you've had difficult things happening. But just think if you were that family member, if you were that patient, what would you want to read about you on social media? And the likelihood is not very much at all, if anything. Just be careful. Look, social media, we do love it. Obviously, this podcast will be going out through social media. So I think it's a wonderful resource, but it also adds a level of complexity to the work that we do and also those risks around confidentiality and professional boundaries. It's always good to have a think about it before it occurs and, again, to have a plan about how would you want to respond or the way you'd want to approach things because it's it's not necessarily always black and white. I think there's huge gray areas and I think as the technology develops we're going to have to keep stopping and pausing and working out what is our new plan. So we hope this has been useful and maybe prompted you to think ahead about some of those situations that you may find yourself in in the emergency department or critical care generally or to reflect on situations that have happened to you in the past. Please keep in mind at all times patient confidentiality. These situations can be challenging and if you find yourself in one of them and you're not sure what to do head to your senior clinician or your senior nurse, support, whoever it may be in your hospital that you can chat to. Don't get yourself into a situation without talking to somebody first because you may find that they've experienced this in the past and will be able to give you really good advice. Liz, thank you so much again for joining us on the podcast. I hope you'll join us again soon and take care, everybody.